You're listening to the Hudson Valley Region Podcast, an official podcast of the New York City Church of Christ, teaching and worshiping God in the beautiful New York State counties of Orange and Rockland. Well, good morning, Hudson Valley. Which I was kind of debating if I should say Hudson Valley or family, because really this is my family. So good morning, family. Good morning, family. It's great to be home. Um, Katie and I both consider this place to be our home, and so it's really a joy to be back here with you today and to have our expanding family here with you as well. So we are part of the Irby expansion uh, plan. We are growing in number. Uh, Evelyn was born uh, last year, and then we had Vivian this year in September, um, and it's a joy, but we have our hands full, as you can, you can tell. Um, but we are grateful to be here with you. And we were grateful to be here last night for the Christmas party. I mean, that is such a wonderful event. And so to be able to, to be there with you for that was, was such a joy. And I will say, uh, as Phil said, there was actually two awards that were not given out last night. So I have the opportunity to give another award that wasn't um, given out last night. So this award uh, goes to, and I have you know the paper right here. So the, the, this award goes to the best dancer of the night. Yes, so the Best Dancer Award goes to Evelyn Irby, was the best dancer of the night. Where is she? <laughs> she she's in children's ministry, so I'll, I'll give that to her away. So there was one voter on that one, and, and so it just it worked out that way. Yeah, thank you. I, I, did, I just sneaked that in there. <clears throat> um, but, uh, yeah, again, it, it's great to be here, and um, we love the leadership here. Um, you are blessed to have the garrisons, and, you know, many of you don't know this, but Leslie actually started studying the Bible with Katie when she was in North Carolina, so they go way back, and so as we started dating, they became a very important couple in my life and gave me a lot of guidance and wisdom, and so I certainly appreciate that. And one thing that I've learned about Phil is that Phil is a guy who is ready for anything. He is prepared for anything. And I became very aware of this a few years ago when I had the opportunity to go up with the New York City Church of Christ leaders on their leadership retreat in the Adirondacks. And so this was the first year that Phil was there, and I, I had you know, been there a couple of years. And up on that retreat, there is a, a part of the grounds where we stay where there's a lean-to. And we always have a campfire out there, and we have a, a devotional out there. And the years prior, I tried to get some of the guys to stay out in the lean-to. I mean, it's right there by a stream. You can see the mountains in the background. The stars are up above. I mean, what a great place to spend the night. But none of the younger guys would do it. And so when Phil came out, I actually think that he had suggested it that night. And so I was like, oh, absolutely. I, I am there. Let's do this. And I kind of thought he was kidding at first, but he was serious. So... We get our stuff. We had our sleeping bags. Phil has his sleeping bag and his stuffed animal. And so, we, you know, we walk over there. Oh, sorry. My bad. It was, it was a Care Bear, but whatever. Whatever you have to do to feel safe, right? It's fine. So, so we walk out there, um, and, you know, we set up shop in there, and we're, you know, just chip, chip, chatting away and, and fellowshipping, and we fall asleep, and... I wake up around 2 or 3 a.m., and nature called, so, you know, I had to go out, and, and on my way back, Phil's still sleeping, and he's snoring up a storm, and so I'm 
trying to come back really oh, – sorry. Sorry, I, I keep dropping those things about Phil. So <clears throat> I, I'm creeping back, and I'm trying, to make, I'm trying to not make any noise and be as quiet as possible. And as I'm slipping back into my sleeping bag, Phil jumps up with – which I thought was a machete, but he had this jackknife. And he's like, who is it? And I was like, it's, it's, it's me, Ryan. And he's like, Ryan who? And I was like, Ryan Irby. We, I thought we were camping together. He's like, he's like, oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. I, I, just, I thought you were a bear. I'm like, I'm like 5'7". I was like, like a bear cub or something. But anyway, it, it, we, we diffused the situation and we, you know, were able to calm down and fall back asleep a couple hours later once my heart uh, stopped racing. But I, I just I came to realize that Phil is a guy who's ready for anything. Um, and fortunately, you know, it worked out that both of us survived. But, you know, it just really impressed me that he, he was ready for everything. And as we think about that and what I'm going to share with you today being ready and prepared for spiritual growth is so important. It's so important. And though it really is the, the Christmas time of year, I, I do want to say I'm sorry. It's not really a Christmas message, although I'll, I'll, I'll sprinkle some Christmas-type things in the message. <laughs> some Christmas dust on the message. I want to talk about spiritual growth today. And I want to talk about being prepared for spiritual growth. Because as we approach the new year, it's easier for us to think about, well, January 1st I'll think about spiritual growth, or even a couple days later. But now is the time to think about spiritual growth. Any time of year is really a good time to think about spiritual growth. And I, I, I want to say first, before I even jump into it, is that when we think about spiritual growth, when we look back on the year prior, it's easy for us to feel guilty about all the areas that we didn't grow in. But I don't want you to go there right now. I mean, we, do, we will do some reflecting, and I'll share some challenging things with you. But let's not go there. Let's think about the opportunities that lie ahead for spiritual growth. And as we start to, to, to wrap our minds around that, I think some of us can think at times, is spiritual growth really necessary? You know, I've been, maybe you've been baptized, maybe you have been saved, and you have experienced salvation and so we can feel like, well, I'm set. I'm good. What's the point of spiritual growth? Is it really necessary to grow? And the Bible talks a lot about this. And I'll just share a few things with you that I think are really convincing about the necessity of spiritual growth. For one thing, as disciples of Jesus, okay, we are trying to be disciples of Jesus. In the Bible, in the New Testament alone, the word disciple is used over 250 times. And the literal Greek meaning of that word disciple is a learner. And if we're learning from Jesus how to live our lives as if he were living it for us, there's growth that needs to take place there. If we are learning, we are growing. So just by the very nature of our name, of our identity as disciples, it means that we need to grow. And the fact is, is that Jesus grew. From this little, and here's the Christmas message, so from the little baby, from that little infant, I mean, it, that's amazing. I mean, he grew, he experienced 
growth, and not even just physical, physical growth. In Luke 2, verse 52, you don't have to turn there, but it says that Jesus grew in wisdom, stature, and in favor with God and man, which really encompasses all the dimensions of the human personality. That's how Jesus grew in all those different areas of his life. In 2 Peter 1, you can all turn your Bibles over there. 2 Peter 1, we're going to look at verses 3 through 11. And as we're reading this, I want us to think about what is this teaching us about spiritual growth and its necessity. So 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 begins, His divine power has given us Everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness into goodness, knowledge, into knowledge, self-control, into self-control, perseverance, into perseverance, godliness, into godliness, mutual affection, into mutual affection, love. For if you possess these things in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you will never stumble, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. There's so much to unpack here, so much to talk about. But what does this say about spiritual growth? Add to your faith goodness, into goodness knowledge, into knowledge mutual affection, and so on and so forth. And we should be increasing in all these different characteristics. So what does that teach us? It teaches us that growth is necessary as a disciple. And I love the language here. Make every effort is said twice. Make every effort to add to your faith. Make every effort to confirm your calling and election. So salvation is not just a stagnant thing. It's not just a one-time thing. We should be growing and making sure that this is sure, our salvation. So growth is so important, and we should be making every effort. How much effort does that leave out? Every effort should be put forth in this area. And sometimes I, be, I think we confuse, you know, well, effort, what about grace? Grace is opposed to earning. It's not opposed to effort. And actually, by receiving that grace, we should be compelled to make every effort. So growth is essential. It's not a, a, a choice thing. And I'll just share these other scriptures with you. You can write these down. Ephesians 4, verses 12 through 16. Colossians 1, verses 9 through 10. Colossians 3, verses 9 through 10. You are being renewed in knowledge according to the image of your Creator. Renewed in knowledge. We're growing there. 1 Peter 2, verses 1 through 3. Uh, 2 Peter 3, verses 18. And Romans 12, verses 1 through 2. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, a process, a growth process. So if you're not convinced yet, continue to read because growth is so essential 
for our lives as a disciple. But I think a few things stand in our way. And this list isn't meant to be exhaustive. It's just, you know, some things that I think tend to be more prominent, so to speak, as far as what can distract us from growing. Well, one thing is we get discouraged. I think we may experience growth at times, and maybe especially when we're first baptized and we're growing right away, and then we reach these points in our lives, we come up against these character faults and shortcomings, and then we lose sight, and we grow weary, and we can give up. And then we start to question, you know, is is growth really necessary? Do I really have to overcome in this area of my life? But I think another reason, and and perhaps the biggest reason why we don't grow, is because we don't fully intend to grow. We don't make it an intentional part of our lives. And I think one of the reasons for that is because we don't have a, a great pattern for growth that we're aware of. So, so how does that take place? I think we have some good ideas about how to grow, but I think we need a good, reliable pattern. And that's what I want to talk about and discuss with you today as we prepare in the new year for spiritual growth. And so uh, this pattern was developed by uh, a theologian and philosopher, Dallas Willard. He calls it the VIM pattern of growth. And that VIM pattern stands for vision, intention, and means. So V-I-M, vision, intention, and means. So we're going to begin with vision. And I'm not sure if you remember, I, I actually, I hope you remember, but I got to preach here your first sermon of 2016. And we talked about vision in that sermon, and I know you've been studying that out all year. I know you have the whole sermon memorized, and you've been working on, you know, all of those things. But vision is is where we must begin. And I want to kind of take that and and rehash that a little bit as we begin and then take you on through the rest of the pattern. Are you with me? Okay. So vision is so important for our lives and spiritual growth. Um, And and Dallas Willard, in, in his book, Renovation of the Heart, also he wrote this in Living a Transformed Life Adequate to Our Calling. He says this about vision. The vision of our life in the kingdom of God is a place we must start. This is the vision Jesus brought. It was the gospel he preached. He came announcing, manifesting, and teaching what the kingdom of the heavens was like and that it was immediately available in himself. I was sent for this purpose, he said in Luke 4, verse 43. So what is the kingdom of God? It is the range of God's effective will, where what God wants done is done. The vision that underlies spiritual transformation or spiritual growth into Christ-likeness is then the vision of life now and forever in the range of God's effective, effective will. What this vision calls us to is to live fully in the kingdom of God and as fully as possible now and here not just hereafter. And I I love that last part because we can think about the kingdom of God as being something that we're going to experience later, but it's now. God intends, Jesus intends for us to live fully in that life now. And so the kingdom of God is God's rule and reign and God's rule and reign in our life, in our hearts. The church is a part of that But it's not the whole thing. The rule and reign of God is a big, big concept. And so the the literal Greek 
translation of that word in the New Testament is rule and reign. And so when you read kingdom in the Bible, so all over Matthew 13, Jesus is saying the kingdom is this, the kingdom is like this, the kingdom is like that. You can substitute the rule and reign of God is like this. The rule and reign of God is like that. And that may help you to really picture what that means. And so again, for us, as we think about our lives and we think about the vision of that kingdom, it's how is God ruling and reigning in every dimension of our life. And this is the vision Jesus brought. And I think there's no better picture, there's no better picture of this than in the Sermon on the Mount. Okay, the Sermon on the Mount, many of us talk about as the kingdom ethic. But I think we can call it the kingdom vision. I think it, it feels very commandish, but I think what Jesus is setting up and laying out for us is what does life look like in the kingdom of God when you are living within the rule and reign of God. So in Matthew 6, let's, let's turn there. Let's turn to Matthew 6, and we're going to look at verses 25 through 34. And I could have picked out any part of the Sermon on the Mount. And I encourage you to go back and read through it as you prepare for growth in a new year. Because it's so rich with the kingdom. But I think this particular section here is so relevant and applicable to our lives, especially in modern day Western culture. So in verse 25, Jesus says this, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today, and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Okay, what a picture and an image of life within the rule and reign of God. I think Jesus here is just the master artist painting a beautiful picture, a beautiful depiction and image of what life looks like within the rule and reign of God when he is ruling and reigning in our hearts. And that first statement feels very challenging. Do not worry about your life. Have you ever tried that just by sheer will to not worry? It doesn't last very long, does it? And you start worrying about all the stuff that you're trying not to worry about. But I, I don't think that that's what he's after there. I think what he's saying is, in the kingdom of God, you don't have to worry. When my God, when our Father is ruling and reigning in your life, in our lives, you don't have to worry. Things are taken care of. And I love how he proves it, how he demonstrates it. He's like, look at the evidence. Look around you. Look at creation. The birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns. Yet your heavenly Father feeds them. I mean, could you imagine a scenario like that? 
<clears throat> Katie and I were just down with her parents in Baltimore, and right outside their window, her dad has this bird feeder. <clears throat> and there are tons of birds that are coming to that. I mean, woodpeckers and chickadees and, you know, all kinds of different birds. And so Evelyn and I were sitting out, standing uh, inside the window, looking out and looking at the birds and just observing. And the birds will come in, they'll take what they need, and then that's it. But could you imagine a scenario where you have maybe some chickadees and, and some woodpeckers and some crows and some doves and they come in and they, they're hoarding the, the seeds and they take it back and they're building up these barns and they're storing these things away. And then they see that this other bird has more than I do. And so we're going to go over there and we're going to rob them. And then there's just this chaos and everybody's going after everybody else's stuff. I mean, could you imagine a scenario like that? It's ri- ridiculous. And I think sometimes the birds look at us and laugh. Because here they are taken care of, fully, you know, aware of that as much as they can be. And they look at us and we are running around and behaving like fools. Because we're so worried. <clears throat> and then he says, look at the grass of the field. Look at the, look at the flowers of the field. Not even Solomon. I mean, Solomon was hooked up. You think about this guy. I mean, he had riches. I mean, he had everything beyond imagination. And God takes care of the flowers and the grass of the field more than what, what Solomon even had. And that evidence is all around us. And I think we miss it because we just, we're just running around like pagans. And he says, you know, the, the, the pagans run after these things. And I think in some ways he's saying they have to because they don't believe that there's a God in heaven that's going to take care of them. So what does that mean? That means that I got to take care of myself. And the natural outcome of that life, the natural emotional response from that life is worry, anxiety, and fear. How often do we behave like that? Like practical atheists. We say that, yes, God is our Father, but we behave very differently. And so with with God, with, with the Father, ruling and reigning in our life, we don't have to worry but we, we have some worries. I mean, let's be real, right? We have worries. I mean, I think about my two daughters, you know, and there's definitely some worries there. I think one of the biggest is that what's meant for the diaper is going to end up on me somehow, sometimes. <clears throat> and, you know, to be real, <clears throat> a couple weekends ago, we actually had the opportunity to go to Disney World, the greatest place on earth physical place on earth, okay? Let's just clear that up. <clears throat> so we had the opportunity to go there, and uh, Katie had a lacrosse tournament there, so we got to go down, and uh, on Saturday, she had the tournament, so I took Evelyn to the park. Kids are free under three. That's a pretty good deal. So <clears throat> we go into the park, and my goal was to take her on Peter Pan. So those of you that are just unaware, that is the coolest ride that a kid can go on. I mean, she just she still met the height requirement. And you get in that thing, and you're flying around London, and then you go into Never Never Land, and then you see, I mean, it's just, it's amazing. So I was like, I'm going to get her on that ride. Well, the wait time was like an hour and a half. So I had to really time it out, and I couldn't get a fast pass for it. Those of you that know what fast pass is, they just, they were booked. People booked those like a month in advance. So <clears throat> I had to really time things out. We went on a couple other rides, and then uh, we got off of those rides, and we got lunch. She went to the bathroom, and I thought, this is it. This is my opportunity. 
So we jump in line. Wait time was an hour. So, okay, that's, that's doable. And we're in line, and she's bouncing off the walls. She's running into people. She's pulling out my shirt. And I was like, we just need to hold it down for like 20 minutes longer, and we'll be there. <clears throat> and plus, I'm blaming everything on everybody else's kid. Look what your kid did. But <clears throat> So I'm sitting there at one point with her, and, and she's sitting like this. And she, she looks at me and goes, pee-pee, pee-pee. And I, I was like, Ev. No, no, no. <laughs> no PD on daddy. You already went. Like, you know, you did that. We, we already took care of that. So, no, you know, let's, let's wait. 20 more minutes, sweetie, and we'll be there. And <clears throat> two minutes later, just this warm sensation right here. And it wasn't the food digestion either. So... I had some choices that I needed to make at that point. And, yeah, I mean, I could, I wasn't getting out of line. I mean, we just waited 40 minutes for this thing. And I know, I'm just bad, bad dad. And, I, I mean, by the time we got out of line, because you had to, you know, we would have had to weave through there. It just would have been impossible. So I thought, okay, we'll wait it out. Maybe at the end I can talk to these people and they'll let me jump out and obviously see that we had an accident. Um, and then get back in line. So, and I'm like, I'm not putting her down now because everybody's going to see that she peed and looks like she peed on me. So, <clears throat> so we get to the front of the line and we're about to jump on this thing. And before I could even talk to anybody, she passes out. She's out cold. I mean, asleep. And I'm trying to wake her up, you know, and she's just, you know, <clears throat> there's no chance. I mean, no chance. So I was like, well, I guess we'll just get on the ride. So we got on the ride. I sat with her like this. She slept through the whole ride. I missed the whole thing. <clears throat> but I got to see it, so that was cool. <clears throat> and there's more trips to come in the future. So, I'll, you know, I'll get around there in the future. And afterwards, I went and changed her. But, you know, those kind of worries are, they're, they're real. But, I mean, those are, those are minor worries. Right? Those are, con those are more concerns. <clears throat> what I used to worry about when I was little um, was that... Thank you. <clears throat> what I used to worry about when I was little was that my mom was going to leave. I, I had this <clears throat> fear of abandonment with her. And as I reflect on that time in my life, I, I, I believe that that was due to my relationship with my dad. It was just tough. Um, his father was an alcoholic. My dad was in recovery from alcoholism. And so there were just some real difficult feelings there with him. And, and when my sister and I were little, he was just mean. I mean, just, just mean. And we have a, a much better relationship now. I mean, so grateful for that. I love my dad. But at that time, it was so difficult. And so I just had this weird fear that if my mom left, what, what would we do? I mean, it would just be us and my dad. And I can remember on a couple of occasions, my sister and I being alone with him at home and, and being small, and him getting so mad at us for just trivial things that we literally had to call my mom to come home to defuse the situation, which, of course, was embarrassing for her, but, I mean, we just didn't know what to do. I mean, we were so scared. And she would come home, and she would settle things down, and she would, you know, get things right, basically, but I, I knew that with my mom, if she was around, there was nothing to fear. There was nothing to worry about because she was going to take care of it. And when I think about God, 
that is exactly how God is with us. And, you know, with my mom, the this, this seeking was, I was calling her on the phone with God. He is right here with us now. I mean, just, just a prayer, just a turn of attention away. And when he is ruling and reigning in our life, there is no need for worry. That's just how God is. That is the father that he is. He just seeks and is so concerned about us and our well-being that if we just seek after him, as the scripture says, he will provide. He will take care of us. There is no need to fear. There is no need to worry. And brothers and sisters, that is a promise from God. And it's a promise with just a little condition that if we just seek he will be there. And so with that, as, as we think about this kingdom vision, right, because that's, that's the vision that Jesus brought, we, we need to be concerned about how that plays a role in our spiritual growth, in our spiritual development. It's that vision that we're striving for, that we're seeking after, so to speak. <clears throat> and so as we have that firmly fixed in our minds, the next thing to do is to be Intentional about going after that vision. And intention is so central to life. And to everything, really, that we do and can accomplish. I mean, imagine, if you will, what life would be like without being intentional. If, for example, you were to show up to work or to school or you wanted to improve in your singing or your dancing or your piano playing or develop a language or just be, become better at anything. Imagine that without intention. If you just didn't intend those things in your life, it just, it just wouldn't happen. And it's no different in the spiritual domain and in spiritual growth. William Law in his classic, A Serious Call to a Devout and Holy Life, said this about intention. And actually, he was talking about Christians that he observed around him. And I, you know, I, th I think this, this can apply to us at times. He said this. He said, It was the general intention to please God in all things that made the primitive Christians such eminent instances of piety and made the goodly fellowship of the saints and all the glorious army of martyrs and confessors. And if you will here stop, and ask yourselves why you are not as pious or as reverent as the primitive Christians were, your own heart will tell you that it is neither through ignorance nor nobility, but purely because you never thoroughly intended it. Because you never thoroughly intended it. I mean, what a powerful Statement, And so what he's saying essentially is that why do Christians fall short? Why were the people around him saying that they were Christians, but they weren't really being disciples? Because they never intended to actually be a disciple in every area of their life. Brothers and sisters, intention is so important. And so if we have this vision, if we have this idea in mind of what the kingdom of God is like and that we're trying to live it out, we must intend it. If we want to grow, we must intend it. And so as we progress through that model, the vision, intention, and we get that intentional peace, we come to the means for spiritual growth. 
And those means for spiritual growth are collectively called the spiritual disciplines. The spiritual disciplines are a way of seeking or access points for God. They are activities within our control that we consistently use to help change our orientation to the Spirit and enable us to do what we cannot do by just willing it or by direct effort. They, tr- they, they are a way of spiritual training. They're a way to help us to grow spiritual or to grow spiritually. Richard Foster, in his uh, really a, a classic book on the disciplines, Celebration of Discipline, said this. The Apostle Paul says, He who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Galatians 6, 8. Paul's analogy is instructive. A farmer has helped us to grow grain. All he can do is provide the right conditions for the growing of the grain. He cultivates the ground, the plants, he plants the seed, the water, he waters the plants, and then the natural forces of the earth take over and up comes the grain. This is the way it is with the spiritual disciplines. They are a way of sowing to the spirit. The disciplines are God's way of getting us into the ground. They put us where he can work within us and transform us. And I, I love that. I love that analogy that he uses there. The disciplines are a way of sowing to the Spirit. They get us in the ground. They say, so they don't make the change for us. We have to remember that. The change comes from God and the Spirit, but we position ourselves so that he can make that change in us. And that's the idea behind the spiritual disciplines. And there, there are lots of spiritual disciplines out there. Depending on what author you read, they organize them differently. Um, but Dr. G. Steve Kennard um, has written a book on the spiritual disciplines, The Way of the Heart of Jesus, that I'm hoping if, if sales go up immediately after the service that I'll get a cut of, of that. Um, but the disciplines, in, in, in Steve's book, he organizes the disciplines like this. Inward disciplines of prayer, fasting, meditation, and study. Upward disciplines of worship, surrender, and repentance. Outward disciplines of the one another way, evangelism, simplicity, service, and sanctifying the ordinary. So some some really important disciplines, some of which that we probably engage in, but some that we maybe neglect for a variety of different reasons, like fasting. Right? Not really consistent with what we do in, mo- in modern society in western culture now is it right driving down the road the golden arches are calling your name <clears throat> but fasting is important and I think that we need a healthy dose of a range of disciplines but I want to talk about one that I think is really important for our day and age and I mean you, you've probably guessed that I've talked about it here before but I think meditation is so important for us in the spiritual life and in spiritual growth and quite honestly the bible talks frequently about it especially in the old testament uh, there are a variety of different books that teach us how to meditate and it's a discipline that was common in early christianity in jesus's life in in judaism meditation was was common but unfortunately in our world and quite honestly in churches we have lost touch with this important discipline. J.I. Packer, uh, in his book, Knowing God, said this, we have some idea, perhaps, of what prayer is, but what is meditation? 
well may we ask, for meditation is a lost art today, and Christian people suffer grievously from their ignorance of the practice. Some harsh, cutting words about our lack of understanding about meditation. But, but, but why, why would he say that people suffer grievously from meditation? Well, we have to understand a little bit about what meditation is. Thomas Merton said this, Study is not spiritually fruitful. So studying the Bible is not spiritually fruitful unless it leads to some kind of meditation. Because in meditation, we absorb what we've already taken in through study. So study is a way of, of taking it in, but we want to absorb the Word of God, right? Amen? We want it to be such an integral part of our life and our being. And meditation is a way to do that. It, it infiltrates every part of us. Psalm 1, verses 1 through 3. Let's take a look at this uh, very specific verse and section of Scripture that talks about meditation and see what we can learn here uh, about that particular spiritual discipline. So Psalm 1, verses 1 through 3. A very familiar passage. Blessed is the one who does not walk in the step with the wicked. Or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. I think that some of us want the end of that passage to be true without the other part of it, right? I mean, that is so attractive. Like a tree planted by streams of water, nothing will shake you. You will always be filled up. Your leaf will never wither. But, but what does it say before that? It says that it's not just enough to avoid sin and stay away from evil. We must delight in the law of the Lord. And we know what it is to delight in things. Right? When you delight in something, you can't stop thinking about it. You know, when Katie and I started dating and then got engaged, Katie could not stop thinking about me. Come on. And if I'm honest, it would probably be, it would probably be me more thinking about her. I mean, I couldn't stop thinking about Katie. We, we were living in two different places. I couldn't wait to see Katie. I couldn't wait to get on the phone with her. And, 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 and so this is how the word should be in our life. Just a constant and steady flow. We're delighting in the law. We're delighting in God and we are meditating on it day and night. What time of day does that leave out? I mean, all the time. <laughs> day, day and night. <clears throat> Um, and so, you know, I, I think that if we really want to learn about meditation, just sit by a stream for a while and observe and study the stream. Because that's the, that's the image that is used in this passage. And that, that stream is just a steady flow of water, never ceasing. And in the Old Testament, there are two Hebrew words that are used for meditation, Hagah and, and Siach. And Haggah is the, the Hebrew word that is used here. And that mean, literally means a murmur. And a murmur is just, it's a light 
low sound, but it's just, it's constantly there. And when you observe the stream, when we think about meditation, it's just, that's the way it should be in our lives. It should be a constant flow. But we, we can't just meditate by sheer will. I think part of the scripture is just giving us something that we're, we're striving for. We don't meditate on it day and night just by sheer will. We have to train spiritually. Like Paul said to Timothy, exercise thyself unto godliness. Train spiritually. So I would like for all of us to close our eyes for just a moment. And just, you know, get comfortable wherever you are. You know, don't put your head down because you might fall asleep or or lay down. But I just want you to engage with me for a little bit in this discipline of meditation. So I'm going to give you a visualization and I'll give you some direction. And then I just want us to meditate together. So imagine, if you will, that you have come to Jesus at night. You have been desiring to meet with Jesus And he is standing before you and utters these words, Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. The words that he spoke to Nicodemus. And so that should immediately penetrate you. And as you're meeting there with him, you want to hold on to his words. And so what I'm I'm going to ask you to do is, as you breathe out, I want you to say, in your mind, flesh gives birth to flesh. And just imagine breathing out sin, uh, destructive thoughts, worry, fear, anxieties, just leaving your body and leaving your mind. And as you breathe in, I want you to say, spirit gives birth to spirit. And just imagine the spirit, God, um, Jesus, the word, just penetrating and sinking into who you are. So again, on the out-breath, flesh gives birth to flesh. And on the in-breath, spirit gives birth to spirit. And just stay there for just a few moments. Okay, you can open your eyes. <clears throat> and so this simple activity, and there's a lot of different ways to, to practice meditation, but this is just one way to do it. Practice it every day, and it will train you to think on God always. It will train you to constantly turn your attention to God. It will become a stream, a murmur in your life that impacts all you think, think say, and do. This is a means for seeking God's rule and reign. It's a way of sowing to the Spirit. So, brothers and sisters, if you want to grow, you got to sow. If you want to grow, you got to sow. And you got to sow to the Spirit. And the fact is, is that God wants us to grow. He's in your corner for spiritual growth. I mean, of all people, of all things, that's, that's what we would want. 
He wants our leaves to never, never wither. He wants to prosper us. He wants us to, to thrive. But we must seek Him first. And, and meditation is, is but one of many disciplines that can help us to seek Him. It's, it allows us, as I mentioned before, to absorb His Word. It places us before Him, reorients us to the Spirit, and it helps us to grow into thriving, into the rule and reign of God. So I'll say it again. If you want to grow, you got to sow. And brothers and sisters, now is the time to plan for spiritual growth. Don't wait. Don't put it off until tomorrow or until the new year or until February or until years down the line. We have to grow and we have to intend to grow now. So in these next few days, over the next week, think about that pattern that I shared with you today. Vision. Vision of of life within the rule and reign of God. Intending to be a kingdom person. And then engage those means. Think about what means would be really important for you. Maybe it's fasting. Maybe it's study. Maybe it's meditation. Maybe it's service. But engage those means and plan for those in the new year. I'll close with this psalm. Psalm 27, verse 4. One thing I ask from the Lord. This only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek Him in His temple. I love you guys. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the Hudson Valley Region Podcast. For more information about our ministry or to attend a church service, please visit our website at hvregion.com. 